You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. They held off doing this scene until it suddenly had to be done, and they did it without rehearsals and in one take. Actor Paul Peterson. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Well, I don't know about you, but every Christmas season, the one movie I have to watch on TV is It's a Wonderful Life. story of George Bailey, the small-town building and loan manager, who's given that rare opportunity to see what the world would be like without him. It's a Christmas classic. You have to watch it. Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, the whole cast. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful life. Now, about 30 years ago, two guys wrote a book of trivia about It's a Wonderful Life. One of those guys was Jimmy Hawkins, who plays Tommy in the movie It's a Wonderful Life. The other was actor Paul Peterson, now you're wondering, what does Paul Peterson have to do with that movie? Well, <laughs> you may remember that Paul Peterson was one of the stars of the late 50s, early 60s sitcom, The Donna Reed Show. Donna Reed, yes, the Donna Reed who was Jimmy Stewart's co-star in It's a Wonderful Life. And now, unless you have a master's degree in It's a Wonderful Life, I promise you, you're going to learn something about this classic movie in the next few minutes. So here now from 1992... My interview with Paul Peterson. We've just been astonished by uh, people's affection for this movie and their continuing interest in it. I mean, when we started this project, it was to, to have some fun and, and to get some uh, income for the Donna Reed Foundation. Both Jimmy Hawkins and I are on the board. And it's just, it's been wonderful. And as I travel around, the the... The response that people have, um, how they demonstrate their love of this picture and their knowledge. I mean, I've been getting people. I thought I knew everything worth knowing about this picture, and yet uh, people will call on talk uh, talk shows. They'll call in and ask me a question. I I have no idea what the answer is. <laughs> you tell me. Well, there, so, there are people you know, who, as soon as Thanksgiving gets here, if they can't find it on one of the dozen cable channels, they have it on video, probably in both black and white and yes. colorized. Astonishingly, they sell almost six hundred. 100,000 copies of video uh, tapes per year on It's a Wonderful Life. And because it's in the public domain, which is a great story, you know, in 73, the legal staff at Republic Pictures failed to pick up the copyright. That's why the movie's on television all the time. And thank God it is because television created this movie. It found the audience that it was designed uh, and, and produced to, to a reach. It's like Wizard of Oz did. Well, yeah, but Wizard of Oz is still an under copyright protection. Uh, so people get But paid. television made that movie. Th- that's a fact. And every Easter, I watch. <laughs> don't you? Yep. I, and it's like every Thanksgiving miracle on 34th Street, mm-hmm. I'm there. And the thing with a movie like this is every time you watch it, you pick up some detail you hadn't picked up the 500 other times that you watched it. That's right. It, it, the craftsmanship of the people involved in this movie is evident in every scene because the more you watch it, the more you can appreciate the little throwaway lines. An example, when we first see the grown-up Violet Bick, uh, Gloria Graham, she's walking away from Bert and Ernie and Jimmy Stewart and she's walking across the street and, and a car almost runs down an old man who, of course, is ogling her as she's, as she's walking across the street. 
and uh, Bert the cop turns to Jimmy Stewart and says, I think I'll go home and see my wife right now. <laughs> you know, little <laughs> things like that. It's just wonderful. Or when we ask people questions about Clarence, you know, okay, it's Clarence, and he's an angel, and he's an angel second class, and he wants his wings. But then you learn more. The nightgown that he's wearing, his wife gave him, and that's what he died in. Then he'll, he'll be 293 in May. That he was a clockmaker. Um, just wonderful things. Oh, by the way, do you know Clarence's last name? I didn't know Clarence. Clarence he does. Odd body. <laughs> Isn't this fun? I, this trivia stuff, is, it's so much fun. And, of course, Jimmy Hawkins, who, who was tag on Annie Oakley, he was in this picture. He was little Tommy, the, the kid who said, keeps saying, excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse you for what? I burp. He and I are both uh, trivia fans because we are trivia. (laughs) (laughs) I am trivia. (laughs) It it must feel kind of strange when you when you sit around a a table and play Trivial Pursuit, and the next and you're an answer on one of the cards. Oh, it's absolutely true. I have had calls from across the country. Hey, I just got your card in Trivial Pursuit. (laughs) Oh, thank you very much. (laughs) That's wonderful. (laughs) Well, at least you're remembered for something, though. That you know, it is true. There's I I quoted in uh, in. Walt Mickey and Me, a book I wrote 15 years ago, that maybe, maybe it is better to be used up and tossed on a scrap heap than to have done nothing at all. Maybe it is better. Well, you're living for, for years now in, at, uh, on Nick at Night, uh, preserving our television heritage. <laughs> is that what I'm doing? My, my kids were very impressed that you were coming into this. Well, I must tell you, it is, it, um, compared to the current product on television, um, there's plenty to be not only thankful for, but um, to be proud of. The... Um, quality of some of these older shows still holds up. It's amazing. In fact, it was reassuring to hear that um, uh, Bill Clinton, when he was asked what television shows he watches, said, well, Chelsea and I watch reruns of the Donna Reed show. (laughs) (laughs) You could be influencing our next administration. Oh, boy, don't put that power in my hands. (laughs) You'd be secretary of prime time or something. There's enough actors looking for political power. (laughs) (laughs) We just had a few. Uh, When I don't know if you've seen Home Alone 2, but now they've got another clip in there. It's a wonderful. The same clip they showed in one, but now in a different language. Right, now it's Spanish. And, and But that's, you know, it's so pervasive, this movie, and it's so identifiable. You will need five seconds, and you know what movie you're watching. It's great. Are there parts of the movie that you like best? Well, I, I have... I have some prejudice, of course. I love the scenes with Donna Reed. The, the scene where she and Jimmy Stewart are walking along by the picket fence uh, when she's wearing the bathrobe. They've just fallen in the in the swimming pool from the Charleston uh, dance. Uh, Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? tonight can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Dance by the light. I love that scene. In fact, I I do this all the time. The the old man on the porch who suddenly says, "Why don't you go ahead and kiss her instead of talking her to death?" (laughs) I just I laugh every time I hear. I I wait for that. Want me to kiss her, huh? Oh, you just wasted on the wrong people. The actor's name was Dick Elliott. Uh, I just love moments like that. The scene when they're in Mary Hatch's home, talking on the telephone to Sam Wainwright. That's just wonderful stuff. Now, I didn't know before I read in this mm-hmm. book, that was, that was a, a, a one-take scene. One take. Jimmy Stewart had been reluctant to work with Donna Reed and didn't really understand Capra's casting until he met Donna. And then um, hormones kind of went crazy. I mean, she's, of course, you know, just gorgeous girl, woman at that point. 
And they held off doing this scene until it suddenly had to be done. And he was reluctant to rehearse it because he was embarrassed as a man. And uh, Donna and Capra recognized that. So they did it without rehearsals and in one take. And it was it's just wonderful. He says it's the chance of a lifetime. Now, you listen to me. I don't want any plastics. I don't want any ground floors. And I don't want to get married ever to anyone. You understand that? I want to do what I want to do. And you're... And you're... This kind of risk for its day. It surely was. Now, you know, remember, this is inside the Hayes office guidelines, so they had to be pretty careful. In fact, when you think back to the scene where he steps on the bathrobe and Donna is suddenly naked behind (laughs) the hydrangea bush, the fact of the matter is they had to do a quick cut to show her feet in high high heels to get around the Hayes office. <laughs> but, you know, now this is interesting. During the Donna Reed Show days, this is 1958 to 66, we were operating under those restrictions as well. I mean, there, Donna and Carl had twin beds. Uh, whenever they kissed, the feet had to be on the floor. It was the darndest thing. <laughs> <laughs> After this short break, Paul Peterson talks about the one most common misconception about It's a Wonderful Life. back to my 1992 interview with Paul Peterson. There's a load of stuff in here that you really, really got to know this movie well to get every one of these. Well, <laughs> now don't test me. Don't test <laughs> no, me. No, <laughs> no, actually, wait, it's... Um... The questions began to create their own questions. As we would find answers to the simple things, uh, generally someone would say, oh, and d- did you know that the fellow Mr. Welsh for Stanley Andrews was the original old ranger on Death Valley Days? And Jimmy and I would look at each other and, well, what does that mean? Well, he was replaced by Ronald Reagan. And there's another question. <laughs> and, and, of course, some of the questions that we ask ourselves didn't have an answer that was immediately apparent. We had to research. And we on, we really did spend 18 months and, and uh, dig through the stuff at Wesleyan University at the Capra Archives and UCLA Film Archives and the Directors Guild Archives. It became, it was a quest. <laughs> how, many, how many times would you guess the two of you saw the movie during the making of the oh, book? Oh. Well, I wore out two tapes. <laughs> And, you know, it's interesting about the tapes, too. It, it, we discovered there are several different uh, manufacturers of, of It's a Wonderful Life, uh, 16 that we found out. And uh, there was quite a difference between the 101-minute version and 122 minutes. There's a lot of parts that, that um, on television suddenly don't get shown. Um, but it was fun. I, it was great sport to watch it because you would pick up things in the scene that a casual uh, a glance wouldn't reveal to you. But when you slowed it down and, or watched it over and over, you go, wait a second. How come a squirrel suddenly appeared? Well, what's that little white dog doing down there? <laughs> <laughs> Where was the continuity director? Right. Well, <laughs> well, of course, there's one, you know, there's a huge flub in the picture that a lot of film buffs know about. Uh, it's kind of like the wristwatch in Spartacus mm. uh, where Jimmy Stewart is he's coming into the uh, Bailey uh, building and loan and he's got a Christmas wreath hooked in the crook of his left arm and it's to talk to um, Harry on the phone to brag about the Congressional Medal of Honor and in one cut you see him throw the Christmas wreath down towards a chair then they cut and it's back on his arm (laughs) (laughs) but you know good movies have little things like that Well, it it takes 150, 200 viewings in order to pick up something like that well sometimes it does but we, we hope that when people have a chance to read through this book uh, they'll they'll really appreciate 
the craft. I mean, mistakes are one thing, but for example, we point out that in the first 20 minutes of this picture, you span uh, a dozen years and you are introduced to almost 20 people. And you come to know them. You know exactly where they're coming from, what their history is, what kind of town they live in, what their interests are, uh, what their connections are to each other. What wonderful exposition. I, 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 was, I was just going to mention, now, I, I've had this experience, maybe you have too. I've, I, we've all seen the movie a hundred times, but mm-hmm. sometimes I've tuned in late and I've caught just the second half Right after he dives off the bridge and it comes back. But you can understand it from that point. Even if you tune in for the first time in your life, at that point, you can understand it. That becomes all the more powerful when you see the first half. Well, there are are many uh, film uh, experts who will tell you that any film has to have in every scene, it has to tell its story in its entirety in every scene. And I think It's a Wonderful Life does that. There are hints everywhere. Everywhere you, when you see, you pass by the movie theater, the Bijou movie theater, and what movie is playing, that's important. And then you see the Bailey saving a building and loan, and when there's a life without George Bailey, you come back and you see that it's a dime a dance uh, uh, joint called Dreamland. And it's like... Somebody has to think of that. That just, just didn't happen. It's not an accident. People really thought about how to change the appearance of, of Bedford Falls. And, of course, you also know what, what my, my kids said the first time they saw it. They, what? Bert and Ernie, they got that from Sesame Street. Bert, thank heaven you're here. Back there. Bert, what's happened to this house? Wait, where's Mary? Where's my kids? Watch them, Bert. What's the matter with you two guys? And in fact, that's where Jim Henson got their names. He was a big fan of It's a Wonderful Life. And, you know, you can imagine he's got two puppets or Muppets that he's looking at. What do I name them? What do I name them? And, and he relied on his affection for It's a Wonderful Life. Which becomes another question in the trivia. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's exactly right. You know, we've, we, had some th- so we had some personal encounters with the, the survivors of this movie that uh, were really heartwarming. Uh, finding Carol Coombs, for example, who um, uh, was in the movie that played Janie, um, she had done the picture and then her mother passed away and her father immediately afterward. And she was shipped off to Missouri. And this movie was really, in her young life, the bright spot of her life. And it became something that um, she tried to live up to. Wonderful tales. And to find her after not talking, for example, to Jimmy Hawkins, one of their co-stars in the picture, after 46 years was really wonderful. Or Todd Carnes. This was a great story. We kept trying to find Harry Bailey, Todd Carnes. And... Finally, we tracked him down in Jalisco, Mexico, where he is a world-famous artist who so much off the beaten track that he had come to believe that only he and Jimmy Stewart were, uh, had survived to 1992. And to give him the names and addresses and telephone numbers of the other people involved, it was just a wonderful experience. Wow. Well, how, uh, are there a fair number of people still living from them? Yes, my gosh. The, the, screen, the credited screenwriter, Albert Hackett, in his mid-90s is alive and well and living in New York. But, of course, you run into sad things, too. Uh, just before the book was published, uh, we had our author's copies, and Jimmy sent it off to Clem Portman. And his wife called a few days later and said, oh, I'm so sorry he missed it. He passed away last Wednesday. But that happens, too. you got to expect that after 46 years. Mm. Wow. But everybody, um, well, we, we believe that all the people who uh, actually participated in this picture, in front of the camera and behind, we found. You know, I, I, I almost find that I, it's hard to watch it in a room full of people anymore because every time I watch it, I cannot get through it without 
crying, but sniffling at least laughing. a little bit. If but, if not, let, <laughs> sometimes if I'm alone, I'll just let myself go. But you reach that last. Is scene, this a male bell. thing? <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't mind crying. <laughs> How about them bears? You know? <laughs> no, the movie affects me and and most everybody. I, I I can't watch it without crying. It's just, and sometimes I start crying in anticipation of the scene. You know, <laughs> George, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. But there's so many wonderful parts. Each of us remembers this movie through a sort of personal lens. I often uh, ask people, now, when Jimmy Stewart was going to take his life, uh, did he jump into the river first or did Clarence? And people often think that Jimmy Stewart jumped in and Clarence goes in to save him, and it's just the opposite. That was Clarence's way of getting Jimmy Stewart engaged again in life. Mm -hmm. And yet a lot of people remember the movie and say, oh, no, Jimmy Stewart jumped in and Clarence saved him. Didn't happen that way at all. I had to work quickly. That's why I jumped in. I knew if I were drowning, you'd try to save me. You see, you did. And that's how I saved you. <laughs> it's the same reason that 20 years later you'll you'll have 2 million people all swear they were at Shea Stadium to see that no-hitter. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's all a matter of perception, I guess. <laughs> yes, it is. Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right. That's right. Believe it or not, next month, January, will be the 75th anniversary of the release of It's a Wonderful Life. Paul Peterson is 76 now and still appears around the country at classic TV shows. Would you do me a favor? If you like today's episode, would you tell a friend about Now I've Heard Everything? We post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. In fact, if there's a platform that you like to use and you can't find Now I've Heard Everything there, please let me know. Just drop me a line at bill at heardeverything.com. Oh, and speaking of heardeverything.com, that's where you can find all of our past episodes. We're just now wrapping up Season 3. We'll be launching Season 4 right after the first of the year. And right now at HeardEverything.com, you can find all of our past episodes, several hundred of them, as a matter of fact. Now, next time on Now I've Heard Everything, we're marking another important anniversary in the pop culture. 1971, 50 years ago this month, a new magazine appeared. It was actually, the first issue was actually an insert in New York Magazine, but this one was called Ms. Magazine. So next time on Now I've Heard Everything, my 1994 interview with the founder of Ms. Magazine... Gloria Steinem. The genius of social justice movements, whether it's the women's movement, the black movement, the Hispanic movement, the gay movement, whatever the movement is, the genius of it comes from people letting others know that you can do it. Together we can support each other and we can make it happen. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.